Thank you so much. It's, uh, as I said this morning, it's a huge joy uh, to come. Uh, I do believe there's a kind of uniqueness in a church of this size and yet with this sense of family that is so evident. Uh, all the individuals we meet and the faces we see, uh, the sense of comradeship, collective love, working hard behind the scenes. Uh, we do love coming and uh, I prayed very much for the time here that I would pick up some more. I, uh, I always learn more when I'm with Rory just listening to his stories. Uh, it just opens my heart and mind to the possibilities in God. And he's always got amazing stories to tell. I wondered what I had to do with skirts lifting just before he's going <laughs> to introduce me. I thought, God, just stop this man now. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a joy, a joy to be here. I was praying, as I said again this morning, that a few weeks ago I was praying, Lord, what do I preach when I'm at 3CI? What is the word of the Lord for that day? And I felt God spoke to me very clearly to speak about Elijah. And uh, the verse in James chapter 5 really came alive to me quite strongly. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed. And it didn't rain for three years. Then he prayed again and it rained. This morning we looked at that aspect of his mighty power in prayer. He was a man like us. And he prayed and amazing things happened. And that example is given to us to motivate and stir and encourage us. James could have looked at Moses, Jacob, Daniel, so many great praying people, Hannah, these terrific praying people in the Old Testament. But he, he came to Elijah to demonstrate and underline. But also so good. He's a man just like us. It's so possible to look at some of these Bible heroes and say, wow, they're kind of supermen. But it's so thrilling to see a guy, and tonight we're going to see, hey, he really was just like us. And so we're looking at what happened next. After he prayed, and after he said the heavens are going to break open, there's going to come torrential rain, and then, hey, he suddenly starts looking a bit more like us. So 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read some of this. So Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came, sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. He laid down and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, there was an angel touching him. He said to him, arise, eat. He looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, go forth, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was tearing the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mechelah, you shall anoint as king in your as prophet in your place. We'll leave it there. Let's pray, Father. Thank you so much for your word. We pray right now, Father, for the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher. Come, Holy Spirit, rest upon us, focus our attention, capture our hearts. Speak into our hearts, win, win our hearts, refresh our confidence in you. Come and do us good, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, we depend upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what happened to the guy? What happened to this hero who could stand before a nation on Mount Carmel, I've stood there and looked down, it's an amazing place, and he was in a place of such prominence, such visibility, and after the prophets of Baal could do nothing with all their shouting and cutting themselves and calling on their God, Elijah just prayed a simple prayer, having soaked the mountain and uh, the uh, altar in water, suddenly fire fell from heaven, and he's vindicated, he is the prophet of God, and again, they all cry, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And he has to slaughter all these prophets. I mean, he is the man of the day, to put it mildly. Elijah, this phenomenal character. And now suddenly we see him running for his life. Now, he's transformed into a different character altogether, it would appear. And then we look at stories like this, we realize the vulnerability of our human flesh, even when a man like this is so powerfully used. Ultimately, hey, there's a vulnerability there. And we wonder, why, why did it happen? What happened to him? Self-preservation took over. What was bold and courageous becomes fearful, terrified. What was preoccupied with God, now he's preoccupied with himself. He was standing firm, now he's running scared. He was holding history, now he's irrelevant under a tree. Visible and public, now hidden and secret. Clear about issues, now thoroughly muddled. What on earth happened to him? 
Well, I want to suggest that he got his eyes off of God. It's rather like Simon Peter. You really feel when Jesus invited him to step out of the boat, just had to say, come. He'd learned enough to say, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He didn't just get out. You tell me to come. And when Jesus said, come, he said, right, I can depend on you. But then there came a moment when I guess Peter got his eyes off of Jesus. He got uh, full of the waves and the storm and, and, and he couldn't see Jesus so clearly. And yeah, I'm sure if he kept looking at Jesus, he'd have kept walking. And somehow he, Elijah, got his eyes off of God. Somehow he missed the way. And I want to suggest some things. They may not be the reason, but here's some suggestions. Here are some things that perhaps came into his life and the sort of things that can come into our lives that make us vulnerable and get our eyes off of God. And we go through these times where, hey, I've lost my way. We're going to see that's not the end of the story, but we go through these kind of times. And I think, first of all, maybe handling righteous indignation. He had to slaughter the prophets of Baal. Now handling that sort of thing is, I mean, it's just incredible to kill an, a whole load of these prophets. That was what he was told to do, he's being perfectly obedient. But I want to suggest it's terrifically difficult to handle righteous anger. It's so easy for that to mingle with my own personal preferences, my anger, the things that stir me. And particularly in our day and generation, when there are so many big issues, there's so many new philosophical arguments, things to get angry about. And I'm amazed how even I was in the USA, churches that are split and divided, well, you wore masks and you took this and you did that and you closed down and you started again. And you think, oh, come on, these are little things really, but people suddenly get very angry. And, and there's an anger that's disproportionate. And you think, hey, wait a minute, is this the Lord? Is this something God cares so passionately about? And what you can find is you, you become preoccupied with a position that is more than just what you've been told to do. Amazing. And you'll find that some Christians become sort of single-issue Christians. People that used to be lovely, bright, they, they get focused on this thing. This is the thing. This is something you should, you should care about it like I do. And you think, what happened to him? What happened to her? All their peace and joy seems to have gone. We used to have fellowship. Now there's this one thing they get really upset about. You think, wow, they've lost their joy. They've lost their walk with Jesus because they've, they've got so stirred up about this thing. And I wonder if Elijah came close to that. He was, yeah, God's glory was at stake. The nation had lost its way. He's really angry. Well, who knows what it was with him, but we need to be careful ourselves that we don't get to these things. And if you're like that, if you think, no, this is an important thing, you should read this. Perhaps you, perhaps you say, have you read this? Have you seen this? You say, oh, that brother, that lovely sister, there's just this one thing that's all they talk about now. They've lost Jesus. They're preoccupied with this big thing. Brilliant. Maybe that's what happened to Elijah. He just got taken up. That's one thing that could have happened. Somehow he got his eyes off Jesus. The second thing may be the applause for success. I mean, he's vindicated. Every other miracle that he'd done up to this point, and he'd done some. They were all secret, hidden. He was told, go to the brook. He went to the brook. The ravens fed him, supernaturally. He went to the, the, the home of the widow, supernaturally. He raised a boy from the dead. There's no crowd. No one's saying, wow, well done. It's all hidden, secret, preparatory stuff. Hidden obedience, hidden miracles, getting him ready for the big day. 
That's how it is, beloved. God does stuff often in our lives secret. No one knows about that obedience. God is watching us. God is looking after us. God is saying, will he obey me in this? Will she obey me in this? And he's teaching us often secretly. And we win some victories, but nobody else knows about it. They don't need to. It's God who knows. But now, Elijah's been promoted to Mount Carmel. Now the whole crowd is cheering. Do you know, it's harder often to handle applause than it is to handle secret victories. You're vulnerable. You're suddenly vulnerable. Swift promotion in the body of Christ is very dangerous. We need to pray so much when somebody is just owned by God, some young guy, some young girl, suddenly owned by God when they're so young. Oh, God, help them. Because sudden applause, that can be really dangerous. Maybe that was the thing that happened to him. Suddenly, he's Mr. Popular. Suddenly, he's got this place of priority, visibility. It says he outran Ahab. That must have been fun. He said to Ahab, the storm's coming and he outran him. You think, wow, this is like a Superman. What is this guy? Yeah, maybe that was a moment. Well, he just got out there. Got out there, maybe the heady joys, the success. Maybe that was a danger area. Another thing that could have happened, Jezebel, who seems such a demonic figure, she says, tomorrow, about this time, you'll be as dead as they are. And somehow, this wicked, piercing arrow got through. Fiery dart from Satan terrorized him. Suddenly, he's terrified. Suddenly, this boldness is going to Ahab, so it won't rain till I say so. Terrific courage. He had no exit. He didn't didn't say to God, what do I do after I've spoken to the king? What's my exit strategy? I mean, the guy was so brave. But Jezebel, maybe demonically inspired, just says, penit- and suddenly, wow, the word gets through. And the Bible says that the enemy has fiery darts, poisonous darts. And sometimes things get to you and terrify you. They get under your skin sometimes. They think, why, why am I so scared of that? There's a demonic influence, I believe, that got, possibly got through to him. And an irrational fear captivated him. Sometimes people live with that. They can't sleep. There's an irrational fear. Maybe that was one of the things that happened to him. Or maybe he was just emotionally drained. He had said there won't be any rain, and he had lived through these three years of drought. He had seen a nation come under terrific strain. He had lived through the drought. He didn't sort of curse it onto everybody else and not have to live. He lived through it. He went through the pressures of it. He endured all that. He cared for this widow woman and her son. Yeah, maybe he's just drained, just not realizing the fatigue that's creeping in. The day of Carmel, the day of encounter, the day of speaking to the whole nation. Maybe he's just draining energy. It's just going out of him. That can happen to us. You can live in the euphoria, not realizing that you're personally getting exhausted. Euphoria can carry you for a while. Excitement. But it's not the real thing. And there comes this moment when he's suddenly got nothing left. It doesn't mean he's sinned. It says you can grow weary in well-doing. Weary in well-doing. Doing good stuff. You just get weary. It says about Jesus, virtue went out of him. It just went out of him. There can come a moment when, hey, I've got nothing left to give. 
I've done all that I can. And suddenly you're just caught on a moment and you don't have anything to give. And there, he's drained. Disappointment, yeah. I thought the whole nation would turn. This amazing phenomenon. And, and Jezebel is unchanged. Disappointment is a big pain to bear. That sense of what I thought it would happen. And something you've put a lot of hope in, a program you try to put on, something you pin all your hopes on, and then, ah, it didn't work, it didn't happen. Disappointment's a real drain. The Bible itself says that delay makes the heart grow sick. Hope deferred. I thought the nation would turn. They didn't turn. Even this great event on Mount Carmel, she's completely unchanged. Oh, I had hoped. I had thought. When you pin your hopes on things, disappointment hits you hard. And we sometimes get very disappointed just in life situations, disappointed even in the family, even in our home, even in our marriages. You can come to a time when, you know, as a wife, you're thinking, I'm with these kids all day. You know, it's like, Johnny, don't touch that. Johnny, don't touch Oh, Johnny, I told you, don't touch that. I'll clean up. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, don't do that. Okay, well, all day. Home comes husband. Oh, speak English to me. Speak, speak adult language. And he just sits down, picks up the newspaper and says, when's the meal coming? You think, oh, where's, where's, I didn't think, he doesn't seem to care. doesn't seem, and that can happen in your most loving relationships. You pinned hope and it doesn't seem to be there. And it drains your energy. He doesn't seem to care. I thought he would care. And he doesn't care like I thought he would. Or it can be the other way around. The guy's carrying a lot of responsibility. And he comes home and finds a note and says, dinner's in the oven. Huh? Where is she? And you think, oh, wow. Disappointment is a draining thing. It takes your energy out of you. It leaves you vulnerable. And he went through these things. Perplexity. Why did it happen? Fear. Draining energy. You, that's happened all the time. But in today's generation, it says in the scripture, in the last days, knowledge will increase and men will go to and fro. Boy, it does happen, doesn't it? The, all, all these things we've looked at have been happening through the generations, but there's probably never been a generation like ours. We say, can you do this? Yeah, I can just fit that and I could do that on my way to that. Something you would have thought, well, that will take a week. And letters. I used to write a letter, and you've written and it's gone. And you know you can wait three or four days before you get a reply. Now you zing off an email, and then it bounces back. It's like it's back in your cause again. And you think, man, can I keep the pace of these things going? So stress is a modern problem. We live with stress. This is one of the biggest illustrations of stress in the Bible. A guy who has nothing left when the challenge hits him. He's, he's just got nothing left. It's, he's, he's exhausted himself and runs for his life. And then you get this sad, sad story where he says, well, I've blown it. I'm, I'm no better than my father's. And it says he ran into the wilderness. Now, it may well have been wilderness, but I wonder if it's a bit like where it says about Judas, Judas went out from the upper room and it just says, and it was dark. It may well have been dark, but I think there's more. He went out and it was dark. Elijah ran into a wilderness. He's running away from purpose. He's running away from standing before the Lord. 
He's running away from holding history and it's a wilderness. He's gone. He's lost it. He's on the way to tragedy, really. Complete loss of purpose until he actually prays the suicide prayer. Take my life. You know, I've, I've spoken to pastors. I've spoken to others. Been around a long time. You know, the suicide prayer is not so far away. It's amazing how people can get so low sometimes. And Elijah gets that low. I don't want to live, take my life. And he is completely despondent. He's lost his way. You think, how on earth could such a thing happen to such a mighty man? But it's showing us, hey, without Jesus, we're frail. Without keeping hold of him, we're still weak. A branch that isn't abiding in the vine is a branch that's not going to bear any fruit at all. And so he's drifted out. He's got in onto his own. And I want us to see the wonderful kindness of Jesus as this happens to him. I put in my little notes here. He ran out, he ran out of gas, but he ran into grace. He ran into the love of God, the mercy, the kindness of God. He had nothing left to give, but he's the servant of God. We've been seeing some great stuff here tonight about how God won't let us go. He'll always care for us. And you may be very low here tonight. This may be true for you. This sermon may be for you. I've certainly prayed in my heart that there might be those here who just need to hear this word, that you're longing to hear something from God because you feel, I've lost it. I'm not what I should be, not what I used to be. I don't seem to have purpose anymore. I seem to have drifted. I, I've lost my energy. I'm not sure what I'm doing. And even, I don't know if I want to live. I just feel that some here tonight who are feeling that is true of them. They're, they're feeling, I'm not sure I want to be on the planet. What's the point? Everything's gone wrong for me. That's where Elijah, Elijah, the great Elijah, that's where he got to. Take my life from me. That's about as low as you can get. But as this happened, you notice the beautiful things that happened to him. The first thing is this, to notice what God did not do. God was not angry with him. God didn't argue with him. He wasn't furious with him. He doesn't express anger at all. It's an amazing thing that took place here. He doesn't write him off. And he doesn't ignore him. He says, I'll run along then. No, no, he doesn't ignore him. He pursues him in an amazing way. He, he, he brushes aside the suicide prayer. Doesn't even engage with him about that. It's like, okay, let that go. God's an incredible father. Let that go. And then, and then he says he lets him sleep. It's amazing how we, we've got a problem. We want to cast demons out of people. Uh, Elijah, do you need a, de you know, a demon of despondency cast out? No, no, God says have a sleep. So, uh, you know, I think we, we, we tend to be a, a bit super spiritual. God's answer is amazing. He, this guy needs some sleep. You know, it can be as simple as that. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. That's the first thing. He makes me lie down. You know, it says on the, on the seventh day, God rested. Adam was made on the sixth day. So first day, hey, we start with rest. We rest. We learn to rest. We've got to learn to rest. We don't have to justify ourselves by activity. We don't have to keep going. We don't have to think, there's another thing I should do. We, we mustn't get ourselves driven. We mustn't get to the place where I have to justify my existence. Somebody should do it. I should do it. We can get caught up in all kinds of uh, pressure. That I think we should examine that word ought. 
When you, when you hear yourself saying, I ought to, say, wait a minute, stop a minute. What do I mean I ought to? Is that something God wants me to do? Is that a work that he's put before me? Is that a God-given thing for me? You see, you can fill your life with all kinds of activity if you're not at peace with Jesus to just justify who you are. And the first thing he lets him do is sleep. Have a rest. Refresh. Be refreshed in his presence. You don't have to work to justify yourself. Praise God. Paul says about his contemporaries that they're going about trying to justify themselves by works that they're doing. But really, we, we enter into a rest. There is a rest for the people of God. There's a, a knowing Jesus has done it. Jesus has said it's finished. I've accomplished it. We come in through that rest. We come in through that knowledge. We must never move from that. We do things he's told us to do. We do works that he's ordained for us, things he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. But he also wants us to have that internal peace and rest. Amen? To know what it is. So the first thing he's allowed to do is have a sleep. Have a sleep. And then the angel is told to give him food. Yeah, have a meal. I mean, this is so strange, really. I mean, this doesn't sound at all spiritual to me. Have a, have a rest, have a sleep. Elijah, have a sleep. And have something to eat. Now, it's amazing. When, when he's pursuing the will of God, when, when he's arising quickly, doing the will of God, confronting the king, and then goes and hides by the brook, he says, hiding by the brook, and ravens feed him. When he's being thoroughly obedient, it's a black, unclean bird that feeds him. You know, don't get much fellowship with ravens. You know, because the food, thank you so much. Quack, quack, he's gone. You know, that was... That's when he's doing the will of God. That's when he's utterly obedient. He's confronted Ahab. He's done what he's told to do. He's there. The ravens turn up every day. When he's running for his life, it's not a raven that feeds him. It's an angel that feeds him. I mean, that's crazy. No, 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 no. Send the angel when he's being obedient. When he's running away, send a raven. No, we're, we're, de we're dealing with the God of the Bible. He, he's running away. He's not doing well. He's ashamed of himself. God sends an angel with supernatural provision. Phenomenal thing. You get similar, really, with Simon Peter when he's denied, he even knows the Lord. This horrible experience of Jesus saying to him, look, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. I won't, I won't. Yes, you will. And then he does. And he says, the Lord looked on him and he's broken hearted, he's finished. I'm sure he just wishes he didn't exist. And then you get that wonderful resurrection appearance. Aren't these resurrection appearances wonderful? And there's Peter's going fishing again. And the Lord comes. Have you caught anything? Throw the net the other side, the fill. And then they, it's the Lord. And Peter's on the beach. And what's happening? Jesus is already preparing breakfast for him. This failure, this guy who's had it is, is messed up. Jesus is just lovely turning over the sizzling fish, you know. <laughs> He's prepared a meal for this guy running away. See, beloved, God is a God of terrific grace and kindness. And when Elijah has failed miserably and doesn't want to live, I'm no use to God, I'm a waste of time, angels come to feed him. For Peter, I failed the Lord. Jesus prepares a meal for him. Do you know the Lord? 
Do you know what he's like? He's not a, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's not looking for people just to be machines to get jobs done. He loves you. He, he wants your blessing. He's for you. He'll never stop being for you. We find that consistently through the Bible. And so yeah, when uh, he's, he's being obedient, yeah, the, 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 these ravens feed him. When he's disobedient, angels come and serve him. And then it says, you need this. You've got a journey. Well, what journey? He's not been told to go. Let him run. Give him some space. It's extraordinary counsel, amazing way he's dealt with. And in the strength of this, he runs. He just, give the man space. He's been living with pressure for years. Three years, he, he's been, before the three years, he's praying, let the rain stop. Then the rain stopped. Then he goes through all this. Let the rain start. Stand before a whole nation. Slaughter. He's been giving himself utterly to God. He's exhausted. Let him just run. Let him run. And that's the next thing that happens. And then it's beautiful, actually. It says, when he's running at first, did you notice it says, he left, he left his servant and ran. He left his servant. Who's, who's the servant? Where did Elijah get a servant from? We haven't seen a servant before. Some people have suggested it was perhaps the little boy or the boy who uh, he rose from the dead. And Elijah's his hero. And, and, and he's running. He's now, I give my life to you maybe. He's the servant of Elijah, the great servant of God, the prophet of God. I'm his, I'm his servant. He's my master. And he's running along by, he's with him as he ran into the wilderness. And, and he's running with him, and, and then Elijah keeps on seeing this boy looking up at him. Like, where are we going, Master? Where are we going? It's like, you stay here. I don't want to look in your eyes anymore. Because, hey, you're my hero. No, I can't stand your gaze. You know, when you feel yourself withdrawing from people, watch out. When there are people who think, I, I don't think I can be with them, I don't know, I, you know, when COVID came, I backed off and I, I know I'll find I'll serve God on my own. I don't, I don't want people close. Hey, that's very dangerous. He didn't want this boy's eyes, this boy who so loved him, so no doubt thought, boy, what a hero. He calls down fire from heaven. What an amazing man. Raised me from the dead. Perhaps he did. And now he's running away. So I'll leave the boy alone. If you find it in your, you're tempted not to go near to other Christians because, well, I used to have better days than they knew me then. Hey, be careful. Wake up, wake up. Get back into close fellowship. Get to the place where you've got eyes looking at you. and You don't mind. You want fellowship with them. Elijah had this want to be alone thing to get away from even this boy who was there for him. And then having gone through all this incredible kindness, it says he then began to run to Mount Horeb. Now that's another word for Sinai. And the wonderful thing about believers is this. Ultimately, they know too much. Ultimately, you don't run into a wilderness because you know better. And ultimately, Elijah doesn't run into nothingness. He says, let's go back to Mount Sinai. Let's go back to the place where God revealed himself, where God got in covenant relationship with us, where he took us to himself, where he made us his people. We know enough. We know enough to go back to the one who initiated a new life in us, 
who saved us, who's been our friend, to go back to him. And that's what he does. He goes back to the things he knows. We know too much, really. Because when he says, I'm a nothing, he's not really a nothing. And he's going to find out now. He's going to meet with God. And he goes to the place where covenant was expressed, where God said, you're my people. I am with you. I am for you. I'm going to stand by you. He went back to that place of safety. And when he got there, he has this encounter with God. And he finds out God starts speaking to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think he's giving him his name afresh. See, sometimes when we get so low, especially if you get to the place where you say, take my life from me, you feel, I'm, I'm just a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm a waste of time. What am I doing on the planet? I shouldn't even be here. I'm no better than my father's. Elijah, it's your name. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? It's like, come on, I know you by name. I've always known you by name. I've made a covenant with you. You're writing yourself off. I'm talking to you. You're abandoning your identity. You're saying, I don't count anymore. I might as well be dead. Simon, Elijah, what are you doing? And it's a call to remind yourself of your identity. Simon, son of Jonah, I know who you are. I know you're son of Jonah. It's not like, Simon, when I, when I took you on board, Simon, I didn't say to my father, I've found an amazing guy. Oh boy, I'm so lucky. I've found an amazing fellow. He is, he's just what I was looking for. Strong, great. No, no, no. He took him on board knowing. Vulnerable, weak, impulsive. And when, when, when Peter said, I don't know him, Jesus didn't say, oh, I never dreamed that would happen. <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm heartbroken. You are, I, I, you're my hero, Simon. No, 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 no. He was committed to him knowing his vulnerability. You will deny me. He knew. He wasn't shocked. What are you doing? See, beloved, he knows you. He knows you through and through. He knows you when you feel, I've got nothing to offer, but he's already loved you. He's already committed himself to you. Elijah, come on. Come on, he's speaking to him. What are you doing here? Take responsibility for yourself now. See, sometimes we always want to stroke people who are a bit down. You know, just express the love and affection. Yeah, fine. But God's way is, Elijah, come on. You're my servant. What are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, tonight, what are you doing? It's important, beloved. You just hear God again. See, we don't, we're not always helped by the smooth, slow stroke. We're helped by face up. Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And he begins to tell his tale of woe. He begins to speak to him. And then you get this extraordinary firework display. The power breaks out. Rocks start breaking. Wind, fire. It's like incredible encounter. You know, when you're away from God, you can be in a great worship meeting and you still don't find God. He said God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the fire. God was, the rocks are breaking up. He wasn't in it. It's like I can be in this wonderful meeting, but I, it's not touching me. I'm not, God, God wasn't in it for you. It's like I don't feel, I don't feel the nearness of God. 
Uh, and that's what's happening here. He's ha this incredible expression of power. God is demonstrating he is the God of power. He is the God who can break rocks and cause the wind. And Wow, this is God, but it's not for me. And then you get this terrific statement. He hears a gentle whisper. Now, I absolutely love that. This gentleness of God, that restores him. The gentle whisper. Psalm 18, verse 35, David, the warrior, who had so much blood on his sword, he's not allowed to build the temple. His son has to build the temple. He said, no, you've got too much blood on your sword, you're not going to build the temple. This warrior, this terrific soldier, he says, your gentleness made me great. Your gentleness. It's your gentleness. It's the... It's the encounter with the gentleness of Jesus that starts restoring us. When you feel his nearness, when you feel his love, when you feel, hey, the tenderness is still there. He's still accessible. He's still there for me. It says in the same psalm, he rescued me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. Do you know God delights in you? I, I have a son who, when some years ago, we were living in the USA for a couple of years and he, he really kind of lost his way spiritually. He lost all his friends because we'd moved away. He was 14 at the age I've read since is the most difficult time for a boy to relocate and find friendship and find where he belongs. And he kind of lost out and he really lost his way quite badly for quite a long time. It lasted a few years. And he was a tender, loving boy. I had such a lovely fellowship with him earlier. Suddenly became quite indifferent, distant, unapproachable. It was very hard, very hard to know how much do I discipline him? Because when I disciplined him, I seemed to lose him more. It was very painful for me. And I, 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 and I thought, wow, what's happening? I, I'm losing him. I, I'm, just, I'm just, he's getting away from me. And we were going to go, Wendy and I were going to visit the States and uh, uh, we were on our journey, or at least we were going to. And then Wendy said, no, I think I should stay home and fight for Simon. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't think I should come. I'm going to give myself to prayer for Simon. And uh, she stayed at home. And Simon said to her one day, I thought you were going with Dad. Why haven't you gone with Dad to America? And she said, God told me to fight for you. I'm fighting for you. And it was amazing because she spoke to me on the phone. She said, he said to me, I think you may be winning. <laughs> so I thought, I thought, wow, this sounds good. This sounds encouraging. This sounds exciting. And then I was going into a Friday night meeting and uh, Wendy phoned me again and she said, someone wants to speak to you. And it was my time. And I mean, it was just breathtakingly wonderful. And he was sitting at work in his workplace, and he heard a song of worship in his mind. He's just working, and, and then he sat back, and he starts thinking about God. And there's a beautiful song, which I often sing at home in my devotional life. I guess he's heard it through the walls a few times, when it says, Oh, I love you, Lord. It's a Graham Kendrick song. Really love you, Lord. I can never understand why you love me. I love you, Lord. It says, The greatest thing of all, O oh Lord, I see... You delight in me. And he's sitting at his desk and he's just said, oh, God spoke right into his heart. You delight in me. And this 
boy, he's gone off. He's drifted so badly. You delight in me. You delight in me. And he had to run from his desk. He said, I ran out to the gents and wet my way back to Jesus. He said, God didn't come to him with a big stick. He came and said, I delight in you. I delight in you. And a friend of mine in India, pastor, preacher, super guy, his son had drifted off badly, far from God. And he was coming back across India. This boy told me, he said, I was coming back across India in a train. You know, the trains in India are so crowded. He's sitting on the floor in the corridor. And he said, I just thought, oh God, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for me? I know I've lost the way. I know I've missed it. And he said, I turned up where my father was in Kochi. And uh, he said, he's preaching in the church. I went and stood at the back. And uh, I thought, I don't know where I am. And then he said, God spoke to me and said, see that guy down there? And he, saw it. he said, I want you to give him this word. And he said, he said you're speaking to me. I'm, I'm kind of backslidden, far from God. And God's giving him a prophecy for the fellow down the road in the meeting. So he said, he said, I said to God, if you want me to speak to him, you bring him to me. And he said, I stood there, my eyes closed. I said, I opened my eyes and this guy is standing in front of me. <laughs> so he brought the prophecy to him and he said, I've come back to God. It was so wonderful because my son Simon had just come back to God and, and Johan came back to God. I said, I must get you to talk to my son, my son Simon. And they've been friends ever since. And you know, it was the love of Jesus. This sense of he never stops loving. When we feel I'm a write-off, I'm a waste of time. I've, I've, I've failed my father, my mother. I've let them down. I've failed God. I'm misery. And God says, I delight in you. I mean, it's ridiculous. God's commitment is absolute. And Elijah here, he hears this gentle whisper, this, this delight, God's delight in us. I, I looked up in the thesaurus to see what a, you know, thesaurus, doesn't, it's not like a dictionary that defines words. It gives you other words that it kind of hangs around with, similar words. And uh, here are the words that go with delight. Laugh, smile, get a kick out of. Imagine God singing that of you. I get a kick out of you. <laughs> Hug oneself. Purr. Imagine the whole heaven's shaking. What's oh, God's purring. He's looking down. <laughs> Rave, bask in, wallow, enjoy, have fun, exhilarate, relish, elate, thrill, intoxicate, ravish, entrance, enrapture. What love. The story of the prodigal. You know the story. The father sees him and runs to him and falls upon him, kisses him. Elijah has that kind of an encounter. I am for you. You're mine. You belong to me, Elijah. You're mine. This gentle whisper. It was more than all the wind and all this earthquakes. It's this gentle, refreshing love, this sense of wonder that he still loves me. And with it, comes a complete reinstatement. We often kind of think, well, that's the end of Elijah. And then now Elisha. Now, you look more closely, that it's not exactly it. It says, return on your way. That's what comes in the text. Return on your way. Then it says, when you have arrived. It's not, it's run along, run along. It's like, now go. When you have arrived, you are to anoint kings. 
I can imagine Elijah thinking, I used to speak to kings. That's all finished. I'll never speak to a king again. I used to speak to Ahab. I've blown it completely. No, no, no. Make some kings. You mean I'm, I'm still in? Yeah, yeah. You've got to appoint some kings. You're still in my employ. You're still my servant. Go and establish these kings. Go and be a kingmaker. And then it says, make Elisha ready to take your place effectively. And he's saying, I want you to train up Elisha. There's quite an overlap of some years when Elijah is with Elisha. It's like, I want another one like you. You want another one like me? I'm a waste of time. No, I want another one like you. Raise up Elisha. And it's sometimes there are other miracles Elijah does, Naboth's vineyard, other things Elijah still does. It's not the end of Elijah. He's reinstated, gentleness restores that love affection, and then he's told to do. It's like God said to, to Simon Peter, feed my sheep. Do you still love me? Feed my sheep. I've still got work for you to do. You're not a write-off. You're not finished. I want another prophet like you. I want you in my service. And he says, spend time with him. Train him up. Get over that I-only complex. That's what some of us need. We've, we've got ourselves into, I'm on my own, no one else, I'm on my own. And, and you get alone and you get vulnerable. And here, the commission is, look, listen to me, I want you to do this, appoint kings, get Elisha ready. I want you to be with him. I, I want you to be with people. Stop withdrawing so much. Stop being an I-only person. Get into fellowship, get close to people that you can share your heart with, share your life with. So we get this man who in this passage begins to look like us. Yeah, we saw this morning his powerful prayer. His ability to close the heavens, open the heavens, call down fire, the wonder of prayer, the privileges of prayer. He tasted that. But here we see, hey, he also knew personal vulnerability. All kinds of reasons. We've looked at them. I won't restate them. They can get moments we get our eyes off and we can go out into the wilderness and then begin to despair, and be despondent. But you can find your way. You can come back to him. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, you're lukewarm, you've lost it. But I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If you open the door, I'll come into you and I'll sup with you. I'll renew our fellowship. I'm going to be back with you, right close in. Because I delight in you. I've set my heart upon you. You don't have to win my affection. You've already won it. I've worn my heart on my sleeve. I'm for you. I shall always be for you. I shall always be on your side. I want to refresh you in my love. I want to restore you to my service. I want to reinstate you. I want to recommission you like Simon Peter. Simon Peter looked like he's finished. He's barely started. He's barely started. He's going to be a rock. But God had to show him his vulnerability first. So he didn't think, no, I've just got rock-like qualities. No, God is the one who's going to make him a rock. And so after you, after you come out some of these times, you become more than you've ever been before because God's the one who put you together. You're safe because you know God's held you, God's kept you, God will use you for his glory. Amen.
Let's close in prayer, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your amazing tenderness. Lord, we're shocked at our own vulnerability sometimes. We're amazed, Lord. We, we think about the Apostle Paul who said, I, not that I trust in myself, but I trust in him who raises the dead. Lord, I thank you how many times you raise us from the dead. When we think we've nothing left to give, we think it's all over, we think we're exhausted, and you raise us up again. We thank you for your great power to raise us again, to reinstate us, to breathe confidence freshly into us, to put us back on course. And Father, I want to ask you tonight, for those who especially needed to hear this, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will freshly engage. Won't you speak to those of you who know that this is specially for you? Won't you just come to him? Come freshly to him. Remember that he delights. He delights in you. Freely. His grace is free. His mercy is unchanging. He's so tender. When you feel exhausted, he says, sleep, have something to eat. I'll give it to you. Let me renew you. Let me call you by name. Let me call you back into what I have for you. Won't you let him do that for you tonight? Receive the word of the Lord to your heart. Be reinstated into what God has for you. Let his power refresh and renew you. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for your refreshing grace for your dear people tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.